On the show today, Prince Max von und zu Liechtenstein, chairman of the investment firm LGT Group, managing over 300 billion US dollars worth of global assets from offices in 20 of the world's key financial centers. And with us is also Rainer Indal, founder and managing partner of Summa Equity. Today, we'll talk about what long-term commitment really means. But first, let's understand who Prince Max is. So you're a prince coming from a royal family with a history of hundreds of years of huge business success and a company portfolio ranging from agriculture and forestry to the production of alternative energies and the financial industry. So I'm curious, who are you as a person? And I think that perhaps the best way to understand that is by asking you about what your passion is, that thing that is so, so important to you that you are willing to sacrifice yourself for it if needed. Sure, nature. I've always spent a lot of time in nature. Some of my strongest and nicest memories are from great nature experiences. And then we'll also say that I'm quite passionate for people. I've always been a sort of people person. Last but not least, clearly also very passionate for what I'm doing, which is working on stuff that I find truly exciting, that I can help to progress, and that I believe is good and needed in this world. I know that the two of you met at Harvard Business School more than two decades ago. And since both of you are in a similar line of business, how have you supported and influenced each other over the years? Rainier decided that he wanted to pursue a private equity field study at Harvard. And he was looking for people who had private equity experience already before coming to Harvard. And one of them was science. That's how we met. And so it has really been sort of a long and great history of inspiring and sort of helping each other. Many of the field trips we did when we did our, our field study was in the Alps and in Liechtenstein. So we had some good skiing experience while we we're debating the European private equity industry as well. Absolutely. A lot of great nature experiences, actually. And I really appreciate the beauty of the Norwegian landscape to which Marini introduced me, by having spent a lot of time there over the years. Today, if there is anything we like, I think, is what I would call long-term leadership. People are really desperate for honest and long, long-term commitment to important values. So I'm curious, what are the values of the princely family that have committed you early on to what we today call impact and sustainability and the importance of stewardship? There is actually a very strong and long legacy of the family engaging in business, but also in politics and also in, in philanthropy over a very long period of time. And so the family, I think, is quite proud in some ways. And I think most people would agree that, you know, it has, through this engagement, become a relevant and positive force in society. Growing up with this legacy, my parents have certainly succeeded to also pass on that desire and that aspiration with me. The main thing is really to take on that responsibility that we have to do good things and be a good force. And I would just add, knowing you and your family, the, your Catholic background and the whole idea of stewardship and how the family fortunes is in a foundation. And you all think very much about uh, leaving it in a better place than it was when you entered in. This multi-generational and, and long-term stewardship view. Absolutely. Let's talk about that real, real impact. LGT has committed to net zero across all operations and investment portfolios by 2030. And you are committed to making everything LGT does sustainable. But how do you integrate actually this sustainability into all your products across the bank? 
this systemic integration of impact is an ongoing effort and a journey where we all continue to learn and can get better and better and better. But if the organization has a certain scale, as LGT has 4,000 people and um, a lot of offices and so on, I think it is important that you integrate this important aspect into your overall brand and make it very explicit and that you sort of then also anchor it broadly in the organization and that, that you allocate this responsibility across sort of all key efforts which we have done. Initially, I was a little bit probably more careful with the way I was integrating it into the brand and from an advertising point of view because I knew it would take a while um, until we are sufficiently sort of consistent and I felt if I'm too aggressive, I might be accused of greenwashing and so on. So it has been a journey, but I'm quite happy about where we are at this point. You were among the pioneers in impact investing and uh, you launched LGT Venture Philanthropy 2007. So you wanted to transform philanthropy also through a venture model. Tell us a little bit about that. When I joined T, that has a private banking business side of it and an institutional asset management business side of it, it was very clear to me that there are actually a lot of wealthy people out there who are willing to allocate capital in a way that contributes to make the world a better place. And I've seen how my own family had engaged in philanthropic efforts. And I felt that, A, the way the family had engaged in philanthropy wasn't quite as state-of-the-art as I, as a young private equity-trained person, sort of thought they could be done. And I also, LGT didn't have any offering in that area. So I stumbled over one, which I thought was quite inspiring. And I felt hmm, we should build up something similar. And so we did. And we started in 2007, actually soon after I took over the CEO responsibility. And yeah, it has been an interesting journey that as always, when you start these journeys, we have a sense of direction, but you don't quite know where you will end up. And I think it was incredibly rewarding and interesting and has helped to progress LGT in, in, in many ways on its broader journey to sustainability. How has impact investing developed since it started when you look back? For us, it really started out of LGT venture philanthropy, where I had mainly sort of key causes that I wanted to address through our philanthropic efforts. And I was from the very beginning indifferent if we would pursue them through for-profit organizations or for non-for-profit organizations. And the key thing was that um, these organizations would really um, sort of be impactful and address the key causes that we wanted to address. And so what we then realized is that some of the for-profit organizations that we backed, some of these businesses, developed quite well. Then a little bit later, we learned that there was a term that sort of developed for that activity that people called impact investing. And so we thought, hmm, this is interesting. And we also realized that we were better off separating the purely philanthropic activities going into non-for-profit organizations from the capital allocations to organizations in for-profit organizations. That sort of evolution that we went through, I think, is one which applied the broader impact investing space where people really realized, understood that impact investing is actually something where you can really combine good financial returns, market um, or even better um, financial returns than traditional investing with very positive impact. And that for us also was something which we sort of had to experience and to learn. And so with that evolution, that recognition, it also 
became much more professional because we could attract top quality private equity talent that saw what we were doing and and they recognized that you know this is actually a way of doing private equity that is highly rewarding both from a impact generation perspective but also in the way you you interact with the portfolio companies Reno you were involved in that phase when this model was developed yeah and uh, it was quite fun actually to come in and take a look at where the impact world was so when I traveled around to the various offices that LGT had and where LGT Venture Philanthropy operated I also had the, the benefit of meeting all the other small venture impact funds in both you know India, South America, Africa. It was this whole notion at this stage, and this was only in 2013, 14, 15, that there was a trade-off between returns and uh, having positive impact. And when I looked at the companies, both that were in LGT Venture Philanthropist's portfolio, but also some of the other impact funds, and looked at which were the ones that were most successful in delivering impact. They were also the ones that were growing and doing the best financially. So it was quite clear to me that this whole notion of of impact first versus finance first was wrong because these are linear. I mean, successful companies that are addressing a need, whether that's in in the lower income population or on the environmental side, they are growing, they are able to attract capital and scale up, and hence they become more impactful. So this is more more linear. That was very much a wake-up call to see that this is really what capitalism should do. And there isn't a trade-off. So that was also the idea that I discussed with Prince Max and, and when we started Summa. And Prince Max and LT were our first backers and helped us finance the first companies and also guide us on the approach we took. So that was very much built on the experience that I learned from LT Venture Philanthropy. And Prince Max, quite recently you decided to bring all of your impact investment activities under the roof of a new company that you call Lightrock, a pioneer in this impact investment field that originated from the LGT's venture philanthropy practice. And today, Lightrock manages several billion euros in impact investments and is among the largest impact investors. How has that developed? It all sort of came out of LGT Venture Philanthropy. And step one was sort of separating out the philanthropic from the impact investing efforts. And we sort of ran it for a while under LGT Impact Investing, but then felt that to really scale and give it more prominence and a stronger positioning, the best thing would be to actually separate it out completely out of LGT and give it its own brand name and strengthen the overall efforts, make it more dedicated to it under this Lightrock Amar brand. And I think this was clearly the right strategy because if you're under a big umbrella, it's more difficult to shine. And especially if the brand LGT is so strong and stands for a lot of different things that I didn't allow sort of this focused impact investing strategy to, to shine as much as it does now under this sort of independent brand and independent setup. So we have been scaling very, very nicely. We continue to cooperate very closely with LGT because LGT has such a broad client base and I want all of that client base to understand what Lightrock is doing, how we are thinking about uh, investing, how well it works. And so um, it remains important to have that connection with LGT, but we have also accelerated our growth by tapping into institutional clients that we could easier reach also by setting it up. 
independently. Do you have maybe an example of a company or a project that you're extremely proud of where you've really created this kind of systemic change or a positive societal return, either in Lightrock or in the LGT venture philanthropy? Yeah, and I can actually go back to some of the earlier investments that we have made when it was still LGT venture philanthropy, but we have then moved them into Lightrock and they're still in our portfolio. So I think one of our early investments in Latin America was an investment in a company called Dr. Consulta that has built up a chain of healthcare clinics that cater to people who cannot afford the private offerings in Brazil who tend to be focused very much on the upper end of the market and who complement the very limited state-funded offerings. And this investment that we started, I think, in 2014 to build up this clinic has become very, very successful and we've been investing um, over a couple of rounds and now it's a really substantial business with over 100 million in revenues, has reached profitability continues to grow very rapidly and serve client base that before did not have access to good healthcare. Uh, Rainier knows the portfolio also very well. Probably you want to mention another one? or Yeah, I mean, Mkopa in, uh, in Kenya, I think is fascinating. Grown very rapidly. What they do is to offer solar panels on a rental basis to the lower income population. And it's really replacing kerosene as fuel at night. And it brings people out of poverty because the cost that they have per day on these solar panels are actually lower than what they have on kerosene. And after a little bit over a year, they own the solar panel. So then they don't have the cost anymore of kerosene that they used to have. And it can actually be used as collateral. So they introduced more need uh, products, everything from water storage to bicycles and other things. Uh, so it's really bringing uh, the population out of poverty, providing clean energy. And there was a lot of health issues when you burn with the kerosene inside the huts when the children have to go to you know, read for school uh, in the evening. Um, so multiple, uh, multiple uh, benefits and been hugely successful and, and growing very strongly in Africa. So Prince Max, just when you had become CEO of the LGT Group, you had to deal with a crisis as the US was going after banks in Switzerland and Liechtenstein. So what happened there and what was the toughest issue? I actually became CEO of LGT in, in April 2006. And then this crisis actually started on February 14th in 2008. I remember the date very well. It changed things quite a bit. It was also the birthday of my father, February 14th. And that's when the German police arrested some of our clients in front of running cameras who had not declared their LGT accounts in their tax filings. And it then turned out that a former employee of LGT had stolen a lot of LGT client data and subsequently sold that data to all the tax authorities around the world that wanted to buy from him. And it resulted in sort of a huge amount of tension from authorities, from the media. Things were becoming very, very turbulent for a number of months. We were subpoenaed in the US and subject to a Senate hearing about by the Special Investigation Committee. Clients were nervous um, and so on. So um, it, it was quite an exciting time. I remember I was like coming back in the evenings from work relatively late and I was flipping channels and pretty much every evening um, on one of the channels we were actually in, in, in the news and I was like oh okay let's try to find something else so it was a tough period I think the advantage that I had at the time was that I felt that 
nothing to do with the data theft because it happened a couple of years before. And I was very keen to sort of move the organization forward, also sort of adapt and change the strategy. And I was pretty young and just felt that this is something which we need to overcome. And, and so I tried to stay pretty cool and address sort of one issue at a time, negotiating with the Americans. And we got through this challenge reasonably well. What also helped was that then in the second half of 2008, of course, the attention shifted away from us, the public attention with all these much bigger sort of challenges in the context of the global financial crisis. So we got through it pretty well. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so I think we all came out of that crisis then quite strengthened and with a better business model. Good that it served a purpose, at least. <laughs> it's a tough thing. And it's all about, like, at the end of the day, I I think the vulnerable situations like that are all about trust. Like how can you regain Absolutely. trust and, and are there any like shadows that you can somehow explain to people and so on? And it's very much focused on the person behind it. In, the, in this case, it was you. So we all have transformational points in our lives. And I'm sure this one was one of yours. It was definitely one which I will not forget. And sometimes the pressures were quite high. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to a more of a helicopter perspective on the world that we have. What do you think that the world needs most right now? I think what is really needed most is a change of sort of our system and starts actually with the value systems. And if I look at them, I feel that they have shifted actually over the last sort of 30, 40 years. And I think they have become too egoistic, narcissistic, materialistic. And that actually, interestingly, I believe applies sort of at different levels, at the government level, at the business level, but also at an individual level. And so I think we need to, at all these levels, stand that we are part of a big ecosystem that is incredibly connected. And so we need to sort of shift our value systems and our understanding and, and become much more holistic in the way we look at things, more long-term oriented, more comprehensive. And we need to engage much more on those activities that have a positive impact on the broader ecosystem. And we need to discontinue those that you know, might bring a win for ourselves or for our organizations, but actually from a broader ecosystem perspective, are detrimental. So this comprehensive thinking, I think, needs to be valued much more. A win-win. But at the end of the day, one might ask, Yes, but how? And that's a huge question, of course. But do you think it involves also that we just don't only need to kind of, in a cognitive sense, understand, you know, how things are and the problems we have, but rather like engage more with the heart as well in order to get people moving and really caring about finding solutions? Yeah, I think some people are more mind-driven, others are more heart-driven. But I think that's where the value system shift is so important because if everybody would applaud more for great engagement for the community. You know, think about Kennedy sort of asked famously that question, don't ask what the state has done for you, but ask yourself what you can do for the state. You know, we need to applaud again more to this type of engagements that bring comprehensive progress, these win-wins. And if you applaud more, people will, with their heart also, because everybody likes appreciation. But we have given appreciation for stupid selfies and for a lot of silly things or financial achievements that were based on stuff that didn't really create value. We need to move away from that, right? I think that's what's needed. But at the end of the day, this is going to be accomplished by a lot of people working in that direction. And we're, of course, trying to do what we can through 
the organizations that we have filled up. But I think also, of course, on the political side, um, I will try to engage. It needs to be a very comprehensive effort. I think much of the problem over the the last decades have been sort of how liberalism have focused on, you know, the state and should stay out of business. And business have been solely focusing on profits, not caring for what the externalities on the planet or society is. So all these are separate buckets. Where I'm truly inspired by Liechtenstein and, and LGT is that, you know, Liechtenstein, it's a small country, but it's one of the few countries in Europe which hasn't had its borders changed over the last hundreds of years. And the reason is that it never threatened anyone. And if you look at it's a democracy, but the royal family also has uh, the ability to act as sort of a chair. If I take it in a, in a business sense, yeah, the shareholders, they vote and elect, and then you have the executive team, which is the parliament. But the princely family uh, and the prince can step in and call new elections if needed. And uh, Prince Max's father has done that. So that long-term view on what's good for the country Because sometimes democracy can be very, very short term. And I think, you know, regulation and the whole philosophy that we talked about in the beginning, call it the uh, Christian sort of values of taking care of your neighbor, is that you create win-win. And creating win-win is definitely something that's very integral to princely family. So everyone has to win. It has to be good for the country. It has to be good for the people. It has to be good for the planet. And I think that holistic thinking that Prince Max was talking about, where we take these separate buckets of government, of business, uh, of planet and society, and really take a holistic perspective on it and create win-win, that really creates uh, success. And, and, and I think it's, it's very much one of the reasons why the family and, and LGT and now also Lightrock have become so successful. Yeah, and I fully agree with the point that you made at the beginning of your comment around, you know, this philosophy that has been embraced that goes back to Milton Friedman where the sort of businesses thought that they were only responsible for the generation of profits and shareholder value. And this incredibly narrow focus, you know, this philosophy is just wrong. And that's why I was making before the point that we need to change the philosophy. We need to change the value systems. We need to think much more comprehensively. I think you know, if you ask me sort of what is one of the reasons why the family has done reasonably well, because a little bit through luck and coincidence, of course, we have gotten involved both on the political side of things and on the business side of things. So through those responsibilities, we always had, or for a very long time, a very comprehensive outlook on things that has been very helpful. Long term, and comprehensive. That's what is a little bit missing in this world at all these layers, at an individual level, at the business level, but also at the state level. And I think the states need to, a little bit like Kennedy asked in this question that I mentioned, sort of pushing a value system and telling people a little bit clearer what we expect from them is something which they should be less shy about. So if I then were to answer your question, now, what the world really needs now, I think it's to take that philosophy. If each one of us, in everything we do, always thought about creating win-win. So if I do this, the planet shouldn't lose. If I do this, society shouldn't lose. If I do this in one of our companies, you know, the customers shouldn't lose, the suppliers shouldn't lose. And the philosophy of creating win-win goes through everything uh, you do. Then I think you know, all the problems we have will be solved. And it's a beautiful philosophy because win-lose never gives you the same satisfaction. Win-win is 
something which is very beautiful and it's much more fun in the celebration um, if you have more that you can join in the celebration rather than making some people very angry so i think this win-win mindset is a very powerful one. and win-lose you know can be successful in the short run but win-win is always successful in the long run and back to what we talked about today is long-termism that's what you need to put into it and then realize that win-win is what's going to create a better society and also success for everyone great points both of you one final question from me is the both of you actually have children in their 20s now what do you think that they would say as a response to this question what does the world need most right now i will ask my son he's now 21 uh-huh. <laughs> i don't know um, frankly i don't think it's going to be that far from sort of what we discussed i mean naturally i think one tries to sort of pass on the broader value system that we think is sort of right, then hopefully I think kids will take some of that on and and probably enrich it based on their own experiences and assessment of the world. So, But I will ask him the question. I couldn't tell you exactly what he would say. <laughs> my two daughters, my youngest one, she's doing her mandatory army service in Norway now. And we do border Russia up north. So I'm sure she would be a bit afraid of our security right now, given that she's in the in the army now. Uh, my oldest, she's studying biology and cares deeply for our oceans. And she's been a pescatarian, so a vegetarian, but e- eating fish. And she stopped that now, realizing how we're really putting uh, the ocean under pressure. So what's closest to her heart is to fix the plastic in the ocean and also the biodiversity and, and the fish stock. Thank God we have that generation as well. Okay, is there any final addition, Prince Max, that you would like to say to people who are listening to this episode? Like, what is the most important thing that they can do? Because everybody can do something. What is that doing? What is key is that people engage for the good and take responsibility. Everybody should engage from his skill set and from his passion and gets the most out of it. But it needs to be directed to progressing sort of our broader ecosystem because that's currently extremely challenged. And as I said, we have been trying to focus on parts of the ecosystem. And so if you think about the equity capital markets, they had the best time over the last 30 years in history probably. But at the same time, um, uh, development of our natural assets had worse period over the last 30 years. So we have been not comprehensive. I agree with that. So everyone should follow their passion. But change is a million new beginnings. So every small thing we do, if you think win-win, when we carry out the trash or whatever we do, then uh, that is what everyone can do. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Prince Max. Thank you, Rainier, for a truly valuable conversation. It's an important one to have. Thank you. This is Summa and Friends, the show that inspires and guides you on how we together can create a wiser future. Listen to unique leaders and experts exploring the challenges we are facing and revealing their stories about the solutions and how to get there. Episodes are released bi-weekly on your favorite podcast platform. And the week after, we release an in-depth blog article to help you capture the core ideas from the dialogues and how you can help move things forward. Summa and Friends is a podcast for people with the courage to care for a wiser future. To find out more, you will find links and show notes on summaequity.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope it has inspired you to reflect on what you can do to contribute. And to make it easy for you to find and listen to this show again, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And please share this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing it. I'm Vesna Luca, and you've been listening to Summa and Friends. And until next time, live with purpose and be the change you want to see. Okay.